Well, man, we're so glad that you are here today. My name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor and also one of the teaching pastors here. And we are in week three of this series called The Curse of Comfort. And uh, it's been a challenging series, at least for, for me. And I don't know if you've been through all of them. I highly recommend going and catching up on, online on YouTube channel. Um, but I tell you, it's, it's been fun just kind of to process this with our staff and with some of our friends and just challenge ourselves and, and speak into each other's lives also. But if you weren't here, you know, um, we are talking about David and, and parts of his life. And we know King David as this giant killer, as someone who... Um, pursued God, who, who fought all kinds of battles for Israel. He was, he was dedicated. He was, he was a man after God's own heart, killed giants, you name it. David was the man in Israel. And then all of a sudden, there's some compromise that kind of snuck into David's life. You know, the, all those things happened about the first 30 years of his life, but he then moved into the palace. And once he moved into the palace, he was surrounded by comfort. You know, he had it made at that point. He had, he had finally arrived at, at his anointing, at, at what God had called him to be. And he moves into the palace, and things kind of go south. Things, you know, and he still had moments, but there were some things that just had compromise that came in, creep, crept into his life that he just should not have done. And, and we're also known for those kind of things. And it's kind of fair warning for us. You know, that week one, uh, I kicked this whole thing off talking about when he moved into the palace, um, he looked at around him. He said, man, look where I'm living. This is so great. I'm going to build a temple for God. And he decides that's what he's going to do. And God says, through Nathan, says, whoa, 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 David, hold on a minute. I didn't call you to build me a temple. And we asked ourselves, you know, what are we building that God never called us to build? You know, and, and, and as we look at our lives, are we building something here that, that, that we think is, is what God wants to do? Or is it actually what God is calling us to do? And I also challenge us to look at our own lives because, you know, we are here, you know, for such a short time and, and we, we have this opportunity to make an impact. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in how we are living today, how we are living in this world, and our culture tells us it's all about, about what you're doing here. And, and so we get kind of caught up in that and we, we try to pursue comfort, we pursue things for our children, we pursue all these kind of things, not thinking about eternity. And, and we pour all of our lives into this short lifespan we have here Instead of thinking about, am I building eternity, what God is calling me to do? Am I building eternity into my children? Am I building eternity into my family? Is that what we're actually looking forward to, or is it just things here and now? Am I pursuing this kind of comfort? And then last week, Jordan talked about how comfort can, can tend to, to tempt us into compromise. And we see that in David's life when when. David was supposed to go out in, to, to fight with all the kings like in the spring. Scripture tells us that he stayed at home. He kind of isolated himself from what he was calling, what he, what he was supposed to be doing, and all of a sudden it, it leads into compromise. He sees Bathsheba and goes down a path that he never should have gone down. He was in a place he never should have been and did something he never should have done. And so there, there is David. And his compromise, all of a sudden now Nathan comes in and he confronts him. So when we compromise ourselves, it beckons, it, it it comes with this, this confrontation from somebody, especially if you're, if, if you're following Jesus today. We hope that you have somebody in your life that can hold you accountable to how you're living, what's going on in your lives. And so Nathan comes to, to David and says, David, you have messed up here. And he confronts him. And we don't like to be confronted a lot of times, do we? And see, when we're confronted, what you, you have two decisions to make. You're either, you're either going to be convicted or you're going to get defensive. And I'll just be honest, in my life, when people confront me, my first reaction is defensiveness. I try to make excuses. I try to say all kinds of things. If this is why I did this, this is why it's okay. 
instead of actually going back to God and saying, is this, you know, you're either convicted or you get defensive. And I honestly, in the church today, in our church, in the big C church, I see a lot of defensiveness. And we honestly say things like, well, you know, you, you, you can't judge me. You, and, and actually, Scripture says that we are to judge each other as far as Christ followers. Now, we have to do it in the right spirit, in the right way, in, in a loving manner, and coming alongside with actually brokenness with each other and saying, man, have you thought about this, these consequences? We love the, we love the term iron sharpening iron, but when someone's trying to sharpen our iron, we don't like it a lot of times, do we? And I think we have to be open and saying, you know what, I don't know. And this is one of the areas, honestly, that, <laughs> that I had to wrestle with. This whole series has really kind of, kind of gotten to me up to the point of, you know, are you living this, Brad? Are, are, you know, you're setting up, you're talking about not pursuing comfort, and as I'm surrounded in comfort, we've got it pretty good. All of us actually have it pretty good. And I, and, and, and I had to actually ask myself, okay, am, am I really doing what I'm preaching here? And it's been a, it's been a challenge for me. So I love, I love where we're heading, and, and we're going to kind of go the same kind of place that Jordan did last week, because... What happens when we surround ourselves with comfort, when we can let comfort start taking control of our lives, it can actually result in pride. Something we all, if we're honest, struggle with. And once pride starts creeping in, it, it can create spiritual inactivity. And after that, it can also create self-reliance, that we can start relying on ourselves instead of God. And then confrontation, if it comes with pride, leads us to one of two way, things. When someone confronts you with this pride that you're, you're feeling about yourself, about your life, about even your spiritual lives, and you say, hey, you know what? I think this is pride speaking. You either run towards God or you run away from God. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But I want to start this story again with David in 2 Samuel chapter 24. If you want to get your U versions, your Bibles ready, we're going to head out there. So 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 2. And this all happens late in David's life, okay? So there's been a lot of life lived already with King David. And, and he sees his successes, he sees what's happening, he knows what, where he's at, and here he goes. He says in verse 2, So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. And for us, this seems like, oh, you know what? You can understand why. If you're, you're the king and you want to know how big your army is, but there's an underlying something going on here. There's something that really shouldn't be done. There's an ulterior motive that David actually has during this command. And it starts to surface here as we see what, what Joab actually says to him in verse 3. It says, But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. And so what Joab is saying is to David, okay, you want me to go take the census. You want me to know, you want to know how big the army is. And, and I hope that, man, you've got all kinds of people that you can conquer anybody you want. I hope you see it, see it hundredfold. And I hope you get to live that long to see it. But this next line, but why does my Lord the King want to do such a thing? There's something amiss here. Joab is warning David, there's, there, there's something going on here, David, and you really should not be doing this. He's warning him. He's confronting David up front. This is a direction that you don't want to go, David. And I believe, and the scholars believe, that it's because pride is starting to seek in to David's life. Here is David having somebody, once again, in the inner circle, actually be able to confront him. Someone that has access to his life to say, you know what, David, I don't think you're going down the right road. 
And Joab realizes that there's some kind of motive, there's something going on here. Why David wants to take the census is because of his pride. And we don't really see that and understand it. We've got to actually go back to Exodus chapter 30 to understand what the basis of this whole thing is. So we're going to just give you a 30,000-foot view of why this was, was creeping in, why this wasn't right. Exodus chapter 30, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Whenever you take a census of the people of Israel, each man who is counted must pay a ransom for himself to the Lord. Then no plague will strike the people as you count them. You see, in that day, a census signified ownership. And so as David is saying, you know, I want to go take a census, David is starting to say that Israel belongs to me. When all along, God separated from back in Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. This is going to be my nation. You're going to be set apart. You're going to follow my laws. We're going to, we're going to show the rest of the world what it is to follow Yahweh. But they are my people. And by David doing this, he's saying, you know what? I think I have a little bit of stake here. And all along, you know, even back in Moses' time, when he took a census, when a census was taken, and then he would do a sacrifice, okay? Signifying to every person there that, you know, even though someone is counting you, you sacrifice to God because you belong to God. You don't belong to a nation. You don't belong to whoever is counting you. You belong to God. And that's exactly what's happened. And David, is, there's, there's no question that, that Israel had grown and, and, and prospered under David's rule, that, that God had anointed David at a very young age and, and went through all kinds of things, and David has done an amazing job leading and, and conquering and, and, and building up Israel. But this is where this pride starts creeping into his life, and he, I think he wants some of the credit for, for what's going on when Israel honestly belongs to God. Everything that happens belongs to God. You see, there was no ransom money, as, as Scripture says. So David is basically saying, Israel belongs to me. Let's go on with 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 4. The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commander. So not only did Joab say that you shouldn't be doing this, the army commanders knew very well that they should not be doing this. So they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. Verse 8. After they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Joab reported the number of fighting men to the king in Israel. There were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword, and in Judah, 500,000. They take the census. It takes a long, long time, and they come back to David to report to him. And all of a sudden, David realizes what he's done. And he realizes what he's done is not what he should have done, that he should have listened to the people back. He should have listened to Joab and the commanders way back. Verse 10, David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men, and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. David all of a sudden realizes his pride. He realizes the motive of what why he is doing what he is doing, and he repents of it. But as we talked about last week, there's consequence for sin. And over 70,000 Israelites died because of this sin. Here's David at the end of his life looking back at everything that he accomplished, the battles that he won, the territories that he's gained, everything that has happened, and, and for a moment he wants to take credit for it. 
See, God raised up David. He's anoints David to do what God has called him to do, to, to be the one who accomplishes what God has tasked him to, what God has called him to do. And, and David goes out and he does it. But he, David has got to understand that everything that has happened, all the territory, all the battles won, all David has ever been is a manager of what God has allowed him to do, of the gifting that he has, of the talents that he has. All he is is a manager. He's a steward, as Scripture puts it, of what God has enabled him. And I wonder, for us, as we look around in our own lives, do we do the very same thing? As we look at all the things that we've, we've gathered, all the things, all the comfort things that we've, we've accomplished, you know, and we look around at how we are living, do we want to just take a little bit of, of credit for that? Do we want to take a little bit of ownership for that? When we look at our successes, our jobs, our, 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 our families, our homes, the kind of vacations that we take, our bank accounts, and we get kind of, you know, we're doing pretty good. You know, I'm pretty comfortable. I've, I've done pretty well for myself. I was pretty sharp back then when I did all that. And that pride starts seeping in. And, and I want you to understand there's a difference between being proud of something and actually having pride. You know, we're all proud of, of, of what we've done. We're, we're proud of our families. We're proud of, of, of what we've accomplished. If we're, we're doing God's calling, we can look back and say, you know, I'm pretty proud of, of how that's happened. But it, we don't take credit for it. When we start thinking, you know what, we, we've, we've done a lot of it. We're, we're the one responsible for this. That's when pride starts seeping in. And the farther we go down that path, the worse it gets. I want you to listen to, J to James, Jesus' brother, how he writes in chapter 1, verse 16. He says, don't be deceived. <laughs> and I think that is, that is really good words for us today, for me today. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything we have, everything that we've ever accomplished, everything that we've ever done as we look at it has nothing to do with us. It is a good gift, every good gift, everything that we have, we have because God has allowed us to have. And what he's asking us to do is manage it, to just be good stewards of it. Whether it's our time, whether it's our finances, you name it. God has allowed us to have it so that we can manage it for the sake of others. And the other story I thought of as I was preparing this week was John the Baptist. And I love this. Because you think about John the Baptist, you, a guy who is anointed, who God has called to do something special for him. He's the one that's supposed to prepare the way for the Messiah. Talk about a pretty big job. So John the Baptist comes on the site, and he starts going down to the river, the Jordan River and baptizing people, announcing that, that the Messiah has come, and, and people from droves are coming out to him. Scripture says the whole city is coming out to John. He's got a pretty big deal. He's got the first mega church, okay? And it is going crazy. And he is out here dunking people and baptizing people. He's become a pretty big deal. And then somewhere in his ministry, it starts to wane. And someone comes to him and says, John, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus and his disciples, they're over here on the other side of the river, other end of the river over here, and they're starting to baptize people, and people are going to them instead of you. You know, there, there's something going on here. You're going to lose your ministry. Your job is in jeopardy here, you know? 
So you, maybe you want to step it up, a little more you know, smoke and lights or something, you know? And here's what John the Baptist says, recorded by John the Apostle. Impossible. Apostle. <laughs> Woo! In John chapter 3. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. I love the humility there. I love that John looks and, and realizes God's called me to do this thing, and I'm just going to stay in tune to God and the Holy Spirit as I possibly can. And I'm going to do everything he's called me to do. I'm going to do everything he asked me to do. And when my time is over, it's okay. I'm going to do what God has called me to do and leave the consequences and leave the results to him. Powerful, powerful stuff. The humility of John. Which gets us back to where we started today. Our comfort, if we're not careful, can result in pride. We start amassing all this stuff around us, and, and, and it may not even be stuff. It just may be the way that we live, our, our, our comfortable lifestyle. And, and we are so fortunate. We are so lucky to be born here in the United States in the Western world where, where we are so rich compared to everybody else around us. And we surround ourselves with that. And, and what happens is if we're not careful, that can start replacing our need for God. We've actually had times where people say, you know what, I was, I was following Jesus, and honestly, life was kind of rough. You know, I mean, it was kind of challenging doing some of the stuff. And, and honestly, I, I realized that I'm a lot more comfortable just doing my own thing. I don't really need that whole God thing. Or the other thing that happens is we start taking credit for everything that's around us. You know, look at me, man. I've, I've accumulated quite a bit of stuff. I'm living a pretty good lifestyle. I can take kind of the vacations whenever I want to go. I can do what, what I want to do. I can drive what I want to drive, live where I want to live. And, 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 and we start relying on ourselves, and it continues that whole process as we continue to crowd out God, and then we start taking credit for it, you know? We say things like, I've worked hard, and there's nothing wrong with working hard, but when we start justifying all this stuff and, and, and going away from God, and we say, you know, well, I worked hard from this, or these words that every time I say, say these, I mean, I am challenged and convicted that I deserve this. When, for me, when, when there's this little voice in my head or I say it out loud that, you know what, I deserve this. Now, it's different when it's chocolate cake or something like that or ice cream. That's, I do deserve that. <laughs> no, no coffee. Um, but, but seriously, isn't that the way we operate sometimes? I deserve this. I worked hard for this. And we start realizing that we're replacing God through all of that. Every good thing comes from God. The other thing that we've noticed that pride does is it just, it, it, it creates spiritual inactivity. That's where it all starts. David himself writes this psalm, Psalm ch chapter 10, verse 4. Here's what he says about pride. In his pride, the wicked man, wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. When we start letting pride come into us, when we start thinking we're you know, too big for our britches, that we're better than what we really are, we don't have room for anything else. And when pride starts seeping, seeping in, when there's nobody else challenging us, when we're doing our own thing, our time with God starts getting crowded out. And we start spending less and less time with him. He starts to become an afterthought. We start chasing leisurely things. And we end up binging something on Netflix. <laughs> and we start crowding him out slowly. Or maybe it's just sports. We watch sports 
Maybe we participate in sports. Maybe we run our kids from sporting event to sporting event to sporting event to tournament to tournament, and all of a sudden the things of God start getting crowded out and spiritual inactivity starts happening. And I think the worst thing about this is we start missing opportunities that God has before us. When we start doing our own thing, when we start crowding God out, when we start getting inactive with our spiritual life, God has uniquely wired each and every one of us. He's uniquely wired you. He's gifted you in a special way to accomplish something for him. Maybe something that only you can accomplish. And when we don't have time, when we start weeding him out, now we're missing opportunities that people are, that are in front of us or people are conversations and or, or ministries or you name it that's in front of us that God is giving us an opportunity and we don't have time for because we're so busy doing everything else and we miss the opportunity that God wants to use us to impact others or the world at this time. The other thing that happens is pride creates self-reliance. Back to Psalm 10, verse 6. He says, he says to himself, nothing will ever shake me, he swears. No one will ever do me harm. <laughs> and so often we start getting this whole independence thing, even in our spiritual lives. Even in our walk with Jesus, we get to a point, you know, and, and, we, and we may even say things like, you know what, I don't really need church. I could kind of do this thing on my own, and we start to isolate ourselves. And we saw even in David's life when he isolated himself from, from, the, from what he was supposed to do, his calling from other people, what happened? That's when the whole Bathsheba thing actually happened. And we see people all the time, they start isolating themselves from community. They start isolating themselves from the church. And when I'm talking about church, I'm not talking about these four walls. I'm not talking about the times that we meet. I'm talking about community, having people surrounding you that, that, that can have access to your life, that you're doing life with, that you're following and chasing God with, that, that you're following Jesus together. Do you get it right all the time? Absolutely not. But you are not designed to be a Lone Ranger Christian. You are designed to live in community, to have other people around you, surrounding you, to lift you up, to call you out if it needs to be called out. But so many times we say, you know, I don't even need that. And those people in the church, they're a mess anyway. Man, they're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And it's true, we are. We're a mess. We're dysfunctional. We are a bunch of hypocrites. But we're doing life together. We're journeying together. We're, we're, we are iron sharpening iron. We're challenging each other to do life the way God has called us to do, to make an impact in our workplaces, in our families, and everywhere we go. That's what we are designed for. And pride starts eating into that, and we start getting spiritually inactive. And then we, we get to a point where we're self-reliant. We say, you know, I don't really even need that anymore. And then what happens a lot of times is something rocks our world and tragedy hits. We lose a job. A spouse walks out and a marriage ends. The stock market crashes. We get a health report. We don't know what to do at this stage. We lose someone close to us, whether it be a spouse or a child or a parent. And our whole world starts crumbling. And we think, what is going on here? And we start questioning everything that we've done, everything that we've, we've poured our lives into. And, and you think, what have I been building all this time? Is it really important? And our priorities start to change. And that's when this whole confrontation of pride really comes in. 
confrontation of pride because what happens is people either run towards God or they run away from God. Something happens in our life that's tragic that we don't know how to deal with, and, and, and maybe it makes us fall to our knees and we ask God for intervention, saying, God, only you can solve this. I have no place else to go than to you. Or something tragic happens, and what happens is we start to blame him. Well, God, if you were so good, then why, why are you allowing this to happen? Why, why is this going on in our lives? And we hear this all the time from the world out there. How could you do this? This confrontation of our pride in our lives when things start going wrong either drives us to run towards God or away from him. See, there's nothing really wrong with comfort in our lives. We don't want to give you the impression that, oh, man, I've got to sell everything I have and I've got to go out and move out to the mission field, what have you. If God calls you to, you need to. But comfort in itself is not the problem. It's our pursuit of comfort. It's our, it's our blatant want of comfort where it gets to a point that we, we don't have time for those of God. We cannot let the pursuit of comfort wreck us on what God is calling us to do. We thank him for it. We thank him for everything he's doing. We realize that every good gift, everything that we have, no matter what it is, our families, our health, our, our finances, our time, everything is God's. It's not ours. And we've got to leverage it for what he wants us to do with it. We are just nothing more than managers. We're managers of our time. We're managers of our relationships. We're managers of our finances. They are all God's. They're not ours. Everything is his. None of it is ours. Uh, but I worked hard for that. It's all God's. All of it. And here's the thing that I, as I was studying this this week, and Scripture will tell us that we are accountable to all of it. And I'll just be honest, that scared me. And, I, and, I, and I'm thinking, okay, God, you have blessed me beyond. And, and, and when we think of blessing, this is the thing that really bothers me too, is when we think about blessing, you know, the first thing we think of is, is comfort stuff. But God's blessing is just this joy and this peace no matter what we're going through. And, and I think we turn it into, to, you know, if God's blessing us, then everything's up and to the right. Our finances, our, our lives, everything. And that's not what blessing is. God's presence in our lives, us being solid, no matter what is going on, being confident of who we are in Christ, that is the blessing that we, we have. But we are accountable to all these things that God has granted us. Our time, our finances, everything. He's giving us opportunities like never before to make different differences in people's lives. And we are accountable to exactly that. So today, my question is, what comfort in your life is in a way of you pursuing your best life with Jesus? What is in your life that, that God may be calling you to build it his way instead of your way? What is it in your life that, that you look at your comfort and saying, is this thing getting in the way of my relationship with God? And we've been giving you next steps, you know, through just easy next steps. And here's my next step and challenge for you today. If you remember week one, I, I said, you know, 
you don't want to, you want to, you want to build God's kingdom, not your kingdom. And so every day before you do anything else, before your feet hit the floor, man, open, open hands. Just say, God, I want to build what you want me to build. Show me what you want me to do. I want to build your kingdom and not my kingdom today. And then I want you to add one thing. Say, God, everything I have, I want to build your kingdom, God, and everything I have is at your disposal because it's all yours anyway. It's not mine. And I want to manage this the best I can for you. Let me pray for you. Father, it's easy to sit up here and talk about all this, but it is so much harder to do as we are bombarded all the time, and this is what success looks like. When in reality, success is giving it all to you and following you sincerely and with our deepest passion. So God, if there's anything that is in the way, if there's anything that comfort is keeping us from being what you want us to be, God, I pray that each and every one of us will be able to just get rid of it and give it over to you. Father, we are so blessed and we are, you granted us so much. Help us leverage it to the best we possibly can. Help us manage it to your glory. It's in the amazing name of Jesus that we pray.